This is Will Carter with the CSIS Strategic Technologies Podcast. We're joined by Andres Kut and Lena Areng from the Estonian Information Systems Authority, and they are here to talk about Estonia's e-governance solutions. Uh, we just did a great event with them, which is available on the CSIS website, so definitely check it out. Um, maybe as a starting point, guys, one thing that is a key concern for Americans when they're talking about government uh, IT systems and wasn't touched on directly in the presentation is privacy concerns and how you think about access to different types of data and um, accountability for that access. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how you guys have approached that. Um, we have um, uh, a feature in our state portal uh, through which every citizen can request um, a list of um, um, uh, list of um, requests that um, different agencies, governmental agencies, have done uh, um, uh, uh, to, to to get their data. Basically, if a police officer checks your your license plate, this gets registered, and you as a citizen can can see that through that state portal. Uh, so we um, we we have that uh, kind of reversed. Um, concept of the big brother is watching you, so the actually the citizen is watching the big brother. This is um, um, this is how we, we ensure uh, transparency uh, in this uh, citizen and, and government relationship. And on the technical level, what we have done is that we have um, on a built-in into our integration uh, solutions an ability to provide very granular access to um, to data. So that it's not that any other any agency can access whatever data there is about the customer at any other agency, but everybody, um, every organization responsible for the data can grant explicit access to other agencies to specific pieces or services of um, living on top of private data. So the um, framework of, of control is very, very sort of precise and, and detailed and under the control of the proprietors of the data, not some, some third party. Got it. That makes sense. And, um, you know, another piece that ties into this is from a security perspective, you had spoken a little bit about at the event about um, the relationship of trust, and you have both trust between stakeholders and then technical measures that reinforce trust, like your crypto, uh, crypto solutions. How do you think about, you know, what people you can trust, what types of technologies you can trust, and what was the process that you went through to identify trusted partners, trusted vendors, trusted products? That's a really good question. Um, I think that um, we tried to place as little trust in specific vendors as possible, but rather design things in a way that we don't have to trust any specific sort of vendor or any specific piece of technology. Um, in a way that um, uh, if there is a breach of trust that we can actually survive and, and recover very, very rapidly. This is, for example, that we are, uh, the reason why we're very cautious about using cloud services, just simply because we don't want to make that explicit decision to trust any organization outside of, um, of the governance body. Um, because, you know, as, as the, the, your question very clearly states that this, this is a, a important challenge, it's complicated to do. And we would rather avoid making that decision rather than to decide explicitly to decide organization A, B or C or actor A, B or C. 
And maybe um, tying into that, you know, one thing that a lot of people think about when they think about Estonia's e-governance solutions is the experience that you guys had in 2007 when there was the massive uh, Russian cyber attack against Estonian systems. And you spoke a little bit about at the event about the degree to which business processes in the Estonian government really depend on these services. And, you know, were there some lessons that were learned from that experience that um, when it came to your approach to security, when it came to your architecture, that um, you led you to make changes to your e-governance systems? Um, I think the biggest change there was um, the approach to security. The biggest realization was that um, if there's an attack on, on Estonia, it's not an attack on any specific sort of service provider, but it's an attack on the sort of entire ecosystem. Therefore, collaboration is absolutely crucial. And during those attacks, the actual sort of the collaboration between the specialists on the tactical level working to, to counter those attacks, that really sort of emerged as something that, that really worked. And I think that lesson has been extended into the and codified into the regulatory and, and strategic aspects of, of how, how we do our um, cybersecurity. From the systems perspective, um, I think the biggest learning was that uh, there is no such thing as a secure, secure system. Everything can get attacked, everything can get um, uh, can get uh, denial of service, um, can, can be a subject of a denial of service attack. And um, the idea should be to build a system that assumes a reasonable level of information security, uh, which is fairly difficult to do. Um, a system must be uh, built in a fashion that doesn't assume unreasonable levels of abilities to, to defend that. They must be defensible. And okay. yeah, just on the on the regulation side, we also uh, made several changes to our crisis management law. Uh, we introduced an emergency act uh, because we realized that um, we um, our vital services depend uh, quite a lot on on each other. Uh, we have um, cross cross sectoral dependencies as well as dependencies uh, from other states because we are a very small state. Therefore, uh, some of our infra information infrastructure components might be located in, uh, in other states. And um, although the 2007 attacks, um, they were not particularly sophisticated, but um, we realized we, well, that we need to improve the security of vital services, first and foremost. And therefore, we uh, put quite a lot of attention on, on, crisis, um, on crisis management, risk management uh, part. And, and um, uh, first of all, mapping uh, the vital uh, service providers um, in Estonia and also those uh, who have some sort of relationships with them, some components that are located outside of Estonia and, and to constantly have a, a good overview um, how, how this uh, state of affairs um, is and, and how we can deal with these challenges um, to, um, in order to, to duplicate or mirror data um, uh, and, and in order to, um, to ensure the, uh, the common operation of, of these vital services. Fundamentally, strategically, the issue is how to map the sort of virtual world that is globalized, that is interconnected to the physical world that is, well, physical. So what happens and what, uh, if, if a, let's say, Estonia is cut off from the internet by physically cutting undersea cables? So how do we deal with such situations um, in a way that 
preserves the, the continuity of, of services and the state in itself. Um, that mapping is not, not trivial and that realization, I think, is, is fundamentally that, um, that, we, that we derive from the 2007 attacks. That understanding that there needs to be a mapping between those, those two worlds, virtual and physical. And so, just generally speaking, to what extent would you say that, you know, the ecosystem, the, the single system that you talk about was broadly compromised by the attacks versus to what extent were there attacks on individual elements within the system and you were able to segregate those? Well, politically, I would say that the whole ecosystem was compromised because how information systems fail, they, they fail in two ways. Either they break or people lose trust in using them. So uh, um, I, I think that was a, an attack against the whole ecosystem. However, technically, I, I, I think um, uh, it was a, a, a sort of isolated attacks um, against different parts of, of our infrastructure that was, um, was I think, not um, so difficult to, to mitigate. Um, yeah, from the technical perspective, those attacks were interesting in a sense that um, um, they, their goal was not to get in, basically, but to disrupt, to, uh, to uh, damage the trust into the services. So in that sense, technically, there was very few breaches, actual breaches, uh, but rather denial of service. Um, and we fully acknowledge that probably um, the adversary has moved on from, from, from uh, that phase and uh, the next wave of attacks is not going to follow the, sim the same pattern. And we're trying to build strategies to, to actually counter that uh, the next wave. So you both mentioned trust um, in what you just said. And I think that one thing that was interesting about uh, your presentation, Andres, is that you talked about enablers and about um, key competencies that allowed you to create this system and have it operate effectively. And when we're thinking about how to generalize this to other countries, say, for example, the U.S., there is a fundamental trust deficit between the public and the government. And in the aftermath of the 2007 attacks, you mentioned that they affected government's trust in these systems. How did you think about rebuilding that trust? And do you have any advice to other governments that are interested in pursuing these solutions about how to establish a base of trust on which you can build these systems? It's a really difficult question. I think the building trust is also always mutual. You, don't, you, you gain trust, you, you build trust gradually. Um, I guess to that, question the answer is to try once should um, avoid damaging the trust that is already there uh, by behaving in a way that in, in ways that are untrustworthy and um, sometimes sometimes losing trust and, and doing something that erodes public trust towards the government is something that brings tactical gains um, but at the same time, on a strategic level, it is going to make, make it more difficult to implement digital governance. Um, I think it is vital that that balance between tactical gains and, and strategic losses is very sort of well understood and deliberate, rather than something that happens via random act, collection of actions by, uh, by, um, by various agents in, in, the, in, the, in the government. 
I think that is probably the, the, the key advice to, to, keep, to maintain that balance in an explicit manner, whatever that balance might be. Uh, yeah, I think both parties should come uh, halfway because when you think of defense and security, then this is, this is still a government's domain. But uh, the systems that the government are dependent upon is rest in the private sector. So what, what you defend in cybersecurity are the processes, the everyday processes that are uh, run by the private sector. So if government is designing a, a plan to protect um, the systems or to protect uh, the nation, uh, a crisis management plan, so to say, this needs to be run where the processes are, uh, so within the private sector. So somehow this, these two sides <laughs> must realize that they need each other and, and should come halfway. And, uh, mm -hmm. and building trust is non-trivial. Um, maintaining trust is, is always easier than, than building it later. Yeah, you mentioned something, uh, Lena, that I think is something that the U.S. is really thinking about a lot, and that is what is the role of government in network defense, and how, do, um, how should the relationship between the private sector and the government be structured? And you talked a little bit about a concerted effort that Estonia made to demilitarize cyber defense and to make it a collaborative effort. Um, how did you think about structuring that process and how did you come up with the model that you eventually adopted for public-private cooperation on cyber defense? Uh, that was a, a very pragmatic approach to, to cyber security. That, as I said, in 2007 when we had the attacks, it was a, a national security issue. This is why the MOD took the lead in developing the strategy and in, in coordinating the implementation of the strategy. But then we realized that it is not very easy to, uh, to have transparency between the MOD as a military structure and the service providers. Uh, and these are the, the critical pieces that we need to protect, uh, the critical, the vital service providers. And therefore we decided to, uh, to change this governance and to hand this uh, role to the Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications who has a history of being a regulator. And, and has a long history of, of um, um, uh, relationship with, uh, with the service providers. And this comes more natural there. And, and the, the service providers trust uh, uh, the Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications as a partner rather than the MOD. Um, and um, this was a, a, a gradual, gradual process, I would say. Um, and, um, and it... Um, we, we, we didn't uh, really um, didn't really have a methodology but but just uh, just out of out of um, out of out of need or out of uh, a pragmatic thinking that that it is it is just simply more effective if it is uh, if it is within the um, the civilian ministry to, to a very large extent the, uh, it is about collaboration between different parties and collaboration assumes some level of compatibility between organizational cultures and in that sense, I think the, um, it is clear that the military culture is, is very, very different from what is, uh, is common in, 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 in private sector. Um, and uh, a, a Minister of Economic Affairs is, has much, a more, much more a compatible sort of structure to that and culture and approach to things. Therefore, I think it, is, it kind of makes sense from the, from the cultural perspective that um, they are culturally closer to the um, private sector than the, the military part 
which allows more for, for more efficient com uh, collaboration. And also because we are so small, we can uh, test and try things and fail and, and do things again. And a, a thing that was, was created out of the 2007 attacks was the Cyber Defense League, which, was, which is a, a, a great invention uh, for community building, how, how people can volunteer uh, to, um, to support the government uh, in, in the cyber defense uh, or cyber security. So this was also a gradual process. We didn't have a plan before, but uh, it just happened that uh, the, uh, uh, the people from the private sectors, the IT experts from the private sector, assisted our CERT during these attacks. And this is how this uh, format was created after these events, that we realized that we need to institutionalize this uh, support system around mm -hmm. our, our which, CERT. Which ties back to the um, part of the presentation where I spoke about the organized chaos that is necessary for evolution. The key thing is to have the ability to try out new things and to solidify and institutionalize things that actually work, to pick those up from that sort of uh, primordial soap. And, uh, and this is ex exactly how the, the Cyber Defense League came about. We just took some model that actually works in practice and, uh, and improved that and gave that sort of legal and process support that it needed. So, you know, what capabilities did you decide to keep within the Ministry of Defense, or what responsibilities um, stay with the Ministry of Defense even after this transition? Uh, well, Ministry of Defense is responsible for uh, defending their own networks and, uh, and organizing the defense in times of war. But everything below that is in the hands of, of our agency, actually. Our agency, the Information System Authority, is responsible for coordinating the response in, in, in case of a large-scale cyber attack. And this is written in, in, into the law. And, and we can use, uh, because our agency is, is relatively small, we don't have uh, too many people working in the cybersecurity side there, uh, we can use the skills of, of the um, uh, Cyber Defense Unit, or Cyber Defense League, uh, we can we can pull in the resources as a reinforcement um, um, reserve. Yeah, sort of reserve. This is Dan Paltiel with the CSIS team. Um, it's become something of a catchphrase in writing about cybersecurity, at least in the United States, that our reliance on digital networks uh, enables business and technological change, but it also makes us hugely vulnerable. Uh, because we rely so heavily on it, you know, for everything that we do. Um, Andres, you propose actually that security through technology is in fact cheaper um, than, than bureaucracy and that in fact Estonia cannot afford bureaucracy um, and that, you know, Estonia's complete embrace of digital frameworks for government through the X-Road system um, for business actually makes you stronger and more secure. Um, can you talk a little bit about this? You know, does this mean that there's a fundamental misunderstanding in the rest of the world about security, or is there something uh, that makes Estonia unique in this space um, that your full embrace of technology actually enables you to be more powerful? Um, I guess the mindset of, uh, if you look at the map then um, and our history, then um, you will, you will find that neither geographically nor historically we have never been secure. We have been invaded so many times and ruled by effectively everyone that, that surrounds us in, in some, some, some spirit of or, or another that we haven't, have secu haven't had security at all. 
So for us, it's um, yes. Now we have electronic services that uh, build another sort of avenue of um, of attacks, but that's nothing nothing new. So we have that mindset. We don't have a transition from being secure and safe and secure to being insafe and insecure. We have always been insecure. So that's the, that's the secret. Um, on the other hand, it is about the ability to uh, provide services. Um, Estonia is a, is a small country, and as I um, as I've said before, is um, we have a too high of uh, too too many prime ministers per capita, meaning that we need to maintain the same sort of infrastructure that the large countries uh, have to maintain, uh, but with a much smaller economic base. And that basically means that in order to provide uh, vital government services for all the citizens, we need to find ways to do that very efficiently. And the past couple of years have shown that unless you are able to provide reasonable public services to your citizens in all aspects, and that includes things like keeping uh, corruption down and, uh, and basic safety, unless you are able to provide those services to your citizens, somebody else will at least come up with a promise that they will be able to provide those services better. And this is where the um, e-services actually enable us to, to provide security as well as create an avenue of, of, of risk. Got it. So going back to the question of trust that we were going over before, I've read that both public and private entities in Estonia are able to access X-Road, um, the data exchange system. And you know this includes the legally binding signatures of, I think, nearly all of 1.3 million Estonians at this point. I don't know if you can confirm or <laughs> deny that almost everyone has their signature at this point um, in some sort of electronic record. Does this create any conflict of interest, thinking from a you know my American litigious perspective? Um, does it create a conflict of interest? Are there antitrust concerns that could possibly arise uh, because private entities and public entities both have this uh, very powerful electronic tool at their disposal? Um, I think the key thing that mitigates that, that issue that we actually don't, don't, um, don't have problems like that is that the, the X-Road has a sort of powerful um, access control as well as audit record sort of system. So that, um, and that there's a sort of legal framework that actually states that you only are supposed to provide access to information in a way that has some, some legal basis. You just... A government agency can not just sort of provide information to a uh, private sector actor just because they they feel like it. There has to be a legal justification to do this, to do so, and all access to the uh, information is logged in a way that uh, means it is very difficult to deny having having had access, and that creates a system where um, there there is a underlying sort of um, understanding of um, transparency, which is a fairly effective deterrent against uh, various misuse scenario. So I know we're, uh, we're running out of time here. So maybe just as a last question, you know, you guys have come all the way to Washington uh, to talk to American policymakers, to uh, tell people about your e-governance solutions, you know, 
there's one thing that you'd like us to take away from your visit, uh, what would you say that is? Um, <clears throat> perhaps that everything is possible, even if you're very small. Uh, you, you lack resources, uh, you lack people, um, you, are, you, you're located in a geopolitically quite, uh, quite unstable region, uh, that it shouldn't be a, a um, uh, it shouldn't prevent you uh, of uh, uh, doing uh, things in a, in a smart way that enables you to to, to create a, a well-functioning a, and, and, and great system that, uh, that saves resources and uh, makes things easier, quicker, um, and makes people happier. <laughs> um, we had a great pleasure of, uh, of meeting um, uh, Megan Smith, uh, the CTO of uh, United States yesterday. And um, This, this was a great experience in a, in a sense that um, there was a model of a satellite in a, in a meeting room and a model of a, uh, of a video game artifact in, in another one. And there was a long board uh, leaning against a very sort of government-looking uh, corporate-esque kind of thing. So I think the happy combination of uh, techno-geekiness and uh, governance is something that is really beneficial for for everybody involved and i'm really glad to see that this is taking place and this is happening in this country thank you both so much for joining us this has been uh andres kut and lena arang joining us from the estonian information system authority and uh we've really enjoyed having you thank you for joining us thank you thanks a lot thank you